Lord, we know that ultimately one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But we are grateful that by your Spirit, you have led us to confess that today. May we honor you today, Lord, as we turn to you for sustenance, truth, guidance, and hope. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. You, you may be seated, and um, just before I start today, I'm going to give just a little bit of a public service announcement here. We, we are going to be talking today, as you know, we've been going through this Shaken series, identifying uh, issues in our culture that have shaken the very foundations and in some cases the boldness that we have in standing on and for the truth. And so we've talked about some challenging areas, but today I, I want to just let you parents know if you have children in the room that you have not introduced the, the topic of identity to and, and all that that uh, encompasses, we are going to be talking about those things this morning. So I don't want to uh, introduce that topic. If, if you're not ready, we're going to practice what we preach. These things should be led in the home, but this is our home and we need to know about the truth. And so if your child's in the room, Robin is standing right back there. She is the leader of our Sky Kids ministry. There's a great, safe, uh, kid-friendly, age-appropriate ministry opportunity for your children. And so if you don't want them to be exposed to this topic, she's there to take them. If, if you're fine, everything's going to be God-honoring and appropriate today, but I just wanted to let you know before we dive in. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to pray one more time, and then we're going to jump in. Father, open our eyes today that we can see wonderful things in your word. Lord, um, Give us understanding and truth. Lord, um, lead us to serve our world with kindness, gentleness, and ultimately with respect that honors you. It's in the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So after the crowds welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem and they shouted, Hosanna! The religious leaders moved quickly to shut them down. Do you remember what they said to Jesus? Or more importantly, do you remember how Jesus responded? In Luke chapter 19, verse 39, Jesus said some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If they keep quiet, my disciples, the stones will cry out. Now, the religious establishment was threatened by the kingdom of God that Jesus was revealing. Okay, their agenda, which was to maintain power and control over the people, was being thwarted by the fact that the kingdom that Jesus was introducing was a kingdom of the heart, and it was being advanced by the very people whose hearts had been transformed by Jesus. All along, God's vision was to lead his kingdom to come through those people in his kingdom. 
Now his message that day to religious leaders, Jesus' message, was that this kingdom is the new reality. And Jesus wouldn't stop it if he could. God planned to work through people, but if their voices fell silent, he would use the rocks. He would find another way. But here's the truth throughout history. Since that day, the voices have never fallen completely silent. As a matter of fact, after his death and resurrection, it was the voices of the believers that God was speaking through that ultimately changed the world. They told the story of God's love. They stood courageously on God's truth. And in times of extreme persecution, they remained faithful to Jesus' great commission, which was to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey His commands. Now to this point, Since the resurrection of Jesus, God has not resorted to calling on the rocks to proclaim the good news of Jesus. His disciples have dutifully carried the torch. There have been times in the past 2,000 plus years where it was easier said than done. There have been seasons where there were hordes of heralds, great in number, proclaiming the good news of Jesus, and at other times they were few. But there's always been a remnant of faithful proclaimers of Jesus. Now, our own history in the United States has been one of prosperity for both the message and the messengers. The very foundation of our nation was built on the ideals of the Judeo-Christian worldview. And for the better part of the past 246 years and nine months... Christianity, while not always accepted, has been respected. It has always had a seat at the table of great debate. But times have changed. And they have changed dramatically. Just this week, the Washington, I mean the Wall Street Journal reported that since 1998 they had been tracking how Americans felt about the importance of certain core values that have always marked our nation. Patriotism, religion, family, and a few other ones. In 1998, not that long ago, 62% of Americans said that religion was very important to them. Today, that number is 39%. And as we have learned, that 39% doesn't even include, it's not all Christian. We may represent half of that group. It's a drastic decline over a very short period of time, and it does indeed confirm that times, it's not that they are a changing Times have changed. The foundations are crumbling. Now, in this post-Christian era, we 
Christians are neither accepted nor respected. As a matter of fact, the progressive mindset informed by critical theory explicitly labels Christianity as the enemy, accusing believers of being a part of the oppressive ruling class that has systematized injustice. And just as the leaders of the Jews wanted to silence Jesus and his followers in their day, our culture wants to silence us in ours. But listen to me, God's mission for his church is steadfast. Our responsibilities to go, baptize, and teach remain unchanged. They don't change. Lots of things change. But that doesn't. Our mission is still to go. But listen, in the climate into which we go, we find a dramatically different world. Now, there's nothing to fear. There is nothing to fear. But our new challenges must be acknowledged... And they must be dealt with because they have affected our willingness to fulfill our responsibilities. It is almost as if the changes that we are facing have moved beyond us and we are paralyzed in fear of addressing them. As we have been saying in this series all along, we have been shaken by cultural resistance. But listen, we're talking about it because these changes provide us with great opportunities. See, when when there is resistance and the familiar path becomes impassable, we are forced to turn not to the way we've done it or our ingenuity. We are forced to turn to God and prayer and follow Him as He shines the light on the new way forward. Listen, with God in the lead, as Jesus taught us, the kingdom of darkness will not prevail against us. But we have to ask God to lead, and then we have to follow his lead. Now, practically speaking, when we get down to the nuts and bolts of the deal, we have to understand acknowledge, accept, and grow comfortable comfortable with the fact that the changing culture means that the questions we field have changed. The issues have changed. And in response to the changing questions, we have to change the answers even as the answer stays the same. Do you understand? The questions are changing. The challenges we face are changing. Our answers have to change even as the answer stays the same. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the answer because he is the truth that leads to life. But if we're going to point people to the answer and lead them into the kingdom of God, then we had better be ready with the answers to the new questions we're being asked. 
to fail is irresponsible. To fail is to invite the rocks to take our place and let them cry out. Now the Apostle Peter wrote a letter preparing the church for the opposition they would face in a pre-Christian era. You understand that when the disciples were around, the culture was not Christian. It was either Jewish or Gentile. It was either they worshipped the one true God as revealed in Judaism, or they were pagans. Now that letter that he wrote preparing them to deal with the pre-Christian culture had helpful words of instruction that apply to us as we find our way in the post-Christian era. So I want you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to look at a couple of different passages in the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. 1 Peter, it's, by the way, it's at the back. If you turn to the back and find Revelation, then you just flip a couple forward and you will find 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for what is right... Suffer in the resistance you experience. You're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And listen, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, here, here's the fact. The world we live in demands answers to all sorts of crazy questions that none of the biblical writers could have ever anticipated in the flesh. The things we face today, while there is nothing new under the sun, they're certainly surprising. But listen, through the timeless wisdom of God's Word and the leadership of His Holy Spirit, God prepares us to answer the questions in a way that will shine light in the darkness and advance his kingdom. Now what we've been trying to accomplish through this entire series is to be prepared to give answers to some of these new questions. We can't, we must not shrink back from our responsibility. Now as much as ever, it is critical that we prepare ourselves so God will not have to rely on the rocks to respond. We have so far dealt with substantial questions about love, about judgment, and the apparent contradiction between the two. Today, we're going to deal with the question of identity. Now remember, we're dealing with this because we need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ. 
And before we talk about the identity crisis that the world is in, the secular world, we need to understand our own identity. In the same letter, Peter was unambiguous about who we are. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you, who is you? It's y'all. Those of you who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Listen, here, here's the fact. Just as we learned Last week, that the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. We as individuals and collectively, we are a people set apart by God for the purpose of proclamation. For the purpose of responding. That's the job. That's the call. And as we have seen, we are prepared by God to do it if we position ourselves before God to accept his preparation. Listen, our identity in Christ is secure. We are a holy nation, a kingdom of priests that are charged by our creator to address the identity crisis of those who live with a secular worldview. We are to do it with gentleness and respect. But we are to do it. We cannot shrink back. It's too critical. Now, to simplify a very complex issue, this crisis of identity, we're going to think of it in two parts today, two separate parts. There is the identity of being. And there is the identity of desire. Okay, there's the identity of being and the identity of desire. Now, first we're going to talk about the identity crisis of being. Okay, this is the secular quest to answer the question, who am I? Now, there are a couple of things we need to remember about the secular worldview. Uh, feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Judgment is the ultimate sin. And God is the ultimate guess. Nobody knows, so everybody gets to guess. Just keep it to yourself. So when the secular world is asking the question, who am I? They are filtering the answer through those four pillars of belief. Feeling is the ultimate guide. How do I feel? Happiness is the ultimate goal. What is going to make me happy in a world where I'm struggling to find happiness? So they ask the question, we ask the question, who am I? And sadly, because of the absence of objective truth, which means truth that is from outside us and not discovered through the filter of how I feel or what will make me happy, in the absence of objective, of objective truth, 
We are told today that every individual gets to figure out for themselves who they are. Identity is subject to our feelings and what we make, what we think will make us happy. Now, there is some obvious logical absurdity to this identity issue. In other words, it doesn't really make sense. Now, just this, this past week, I don't, I don't know if you saw this or not. And don't look for it right now, okay? I promise you'll remember, and you can look for it if you choose. There, there was a woman who went viral for a video that she posted wherein she announced with all seriousness that she identified as a red-tailed hawk. Okay? And after making this declaration, she then proceeded to eloquently speak, not surprisingly, of the difficulty of being a hawk trapped in a human body. Of course that would be difficult. Now that is, I think all of us would agree, as a matter of fact, most everybody in the secular world and in the world that believes in objective truth, virtually everybody agreed it was absurd. Because she obviously is not a hawk. But listen... It is no more logically absurd than the idea that a person who was created as a man can claim to be a woman. Violates the same principles of logic. Any identification as something we clearly are not created to be signals two fundamental problems that we need to be prepared to deal with. There is the problem within the person who is claiming the identity, and there is the problem with the truth. So how do we respond? Listen, Peter made it clear with gentleness and respect. Not with derision, not with condemnation or judgment, but with gentleness and and respect. Last week we learned that followers of Jesus have the obligation to respond to the person as Jesus would, not with condemnation and judgment, that's his job, but with the tender compassion of a good physician who wants to lead the person to mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual health. That's the objective for us. So in love, we serve and care for those people suffering from an identity crisis of being. We love them to the truth. But how do we address the problem of truth? Well, we must be compassionate proclaimers of God's truth that points to hope and healing for the body, mind, and soul. And what is that truth? David spelled it out perfectly in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. This is what he said, For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Listen, the truth is we are created by God in his own image with divine intent. Our creator formed and fashioned us to be who we are, and we are, as we are, wonderful. He created us to be who we are. And we are as we are wonderful. Our identity is passed down to us by divine decree. And it's wonderful. It's set. We don't have to go on the quest to discover who we are. We are who we were made to be. Now, Obviously, and unfortunately, sin has wrecked the ideal, and in its wake we find confusion, disillusionment, pain, loneliness, and despair. That's why people are searching for an identity that is beyond what they are, because sin has wrecked the world we live in. But Circumstances, individual circumstances, do not detract from the fundamental truth that God created us with an identity that is unchangeable. It is no mystery. And when we move from this life to the next one, whether we spend eternity connected with our Creator or separated from Him, we will be exactly who God created us to be. He gives us our identity working in our mother's womb, as David put it, and it does not change. It certainly doesn't change because we choose to change it. It is secure. Now, we must present that truth. The world is spinning out of control at this point, and someone needs to put their foot on the ground and stop the spinning. It needs to be stabilized. And it comes down to the church. As the scripture says, the pillar and foundation of the truth to stop the cycle. We have to be ready with the answer. Because, listen... Here's what is inevitably going to happen with those who seek peace and happiness by transitioning to something they are not. They're destined for disillusionment. When and if they turn and seek the truth, when they recognize that what, what the secular world is hyping as the answer to the question just Discover it yourself when they recognize the fool's gold of that direction. 
they're going to be searching for truth that will set them free. For truth that will anchor and provide hope. And we have to be prepared with answers. The answers they're seeking. Which is a peace that is only found in Jesus Christ. And if we have been dismissive, condemnatory, arrogant, and unloving in our approach to people who are clearly searching, then we will have compromised our credibility and they will continue to look somewhere else. It's why Peter said we deal with them with gentleness and respect. Now listen, we could go on and on talking about the identity crisis of being. But the identity crisis of desire has been around longer, it has deeper roots, and it is more insidious, I believe, for people who are made in God's image. While the crisis is certainly more subtle, maybe only because we're just more accepting of it, of the disinformation, the damage that has been done is much more widespread. Now, how do we identify this, the identity crisis of desire? What, what is that? It is the dehumanizing idea that we are identified by our urges. It is the dehumanizing idea that we are identified by our urges. What, what, do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, from a secular perspective, the message the culture preaches is that we are sexual beings, not human beings. You want to know why there's so much talk about the books that are being placed in public school libraries for children and the kind of entertainment that is provided for children is because it is a gradual... People are sexualizing our children. And they're not sexual beings. They're human beings. We are not sexual beings. We are human beings. But the message is, if we aren't free to explore that side of ourselves in any way that we see fit, then we are victims of oppression. That we are being chained I don't think I need to tell you that's a lie, but it is. We are human beings created in the image of God, which makes us so much more than our desires. You are so much bigger than what you want. You are so much more important than what you want. 
being true to ourselves and enjoying true freedom demands that we are that we recognize we are much more than the sum total of our desires, which, by the way, are given to us by God to teach us that we will only ever ultimately be satisfied in Him. You understand that, right? All the joys and pleasures that God has provided for us here, those things that we can access to experience the joy of His creation and the joy in relationships, all of those things are given to us by God to give us a taste of what it will be like to be with God. Those desires are never, ever, ever going to be fully satisfied here. But God graciously gave us a taste of them here, so we would know that ultimately we will taste, as the psalmist said, we will taste and see that God is good. It is God who satisfies. Psalm 119.35 says, Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. There is a way that we should go. There is a way that we should live in alignment with God's gracious revelation of truth. God, who is the maker of the world, designed the world and gives us the cheat code, which is the wisdom revealed in Scripture. And when we walk respectfully according to His Word, then we find delight. It is a delight that will elude us if we consistently pursue our desires. See, if we live so narrowly as to serve our desires, then we are ultimately serving our own destruction. Listen what James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. He says, but, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full-grown, gives birth to what? Death. Don't be deceived. My dear brothers... And sisters, listen, the evil desire that James writes about, the, the one that will ultimately drag us away to death, is a controlling desire that has become too important and disproportionately powerful in our lives. When we get to that point, we are identifying with our desire. If you want to be identified with your desire, then you have given that desire more power than it actually has. When we identify with and as any of those desires, then we will never know the joy of living with God in our God-ordained purpose because we have made an idol out of that desire. 
This is clearly what has happened in the world we're living in, and it is the reason that we are told we must affirm and celebrate, and celebrate those who identify with their desires. And what we are doing, according to the truth of God's word, is that we are affirming and celebrating their destruction. And is there anything loving about celebrating their destruction? I'll answer it for you. No. It is the most unloving thing we could do. See, we can't acquiesce. We can't back down. We're not fighting. We're loving and serving with gentleness and respect. But here's why we can't fall silent. Not just because the rocks will have to do our job, but because we know the truth. the truth that sets us free. Listen to these poignant words that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi from Philippians chapter 3. He wrote, For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, just look at the burden, the, the sadness that Paul dealt with this truth. Even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Where are they going? Well, their destiny is destruction because their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. How do they get there? Well, their mind is on earthly things. But ours isn't. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. You see what's happening? Sin, with all its devastating effects, crushes us wrecks us, puts us in despair. But Jesus is coming. Jesus is making all things new. He's transforming. He will ultimately transform our lowly bodies that's been wrecked by sin, that is disillusioned and discouraged. He's going to make that new. And he's going to bring peace. Paul says, look, we're, we're just passing through here. We're on our way to heaven where we will live the lives we were created for. God will meet us. And when he does, he will meet all of our desires. But if we choose to pursue them on our terms, to actually become them, to identify with them, then we make a God of our stomachs, or as he says, of our desires. And what we glory in or pursue will become our shame. This is what happens when our minds are set on earthly things, when our identity is found in our earthly desires or our urges. 
it leads to the destruction of the very life we're trying to build. We are human beings created to love God and be loved by God. That is our identity. But if we put anything else in God's place, if any desire we have defines us, it dehumanizes us and ultimately destroys us. Christ is the answer. He meets our needs. You know how we know that? Because he is the living water that quenches our thirst. He is the bread of life that feeds our souls. He is our path and he is our peace and our path to freedom. Hope, peace, joy comes from knowing Christ. That's where it starts. Do you know him? Listen, he loved you so much. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And all the days ordained for you are written in his book before one of them came to be. And all you have to do to begin that journey is to place your faith and trust in the one who loved you enough to die for who you are. For you. If, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this is exactly what it boils down to. Jesus, God who created you to love you, wants so desperately to have a relationship with you that he came to reverse the effects of sin, that he came to lead to the forgiveness of, your, of our sins so we could be connected with him. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become his righteousness. And the transformation begins when you place your faith in Jesus. And then once you do, your identity is secure. You're set apart to be a proclaimer of the truth, the light that sets us free. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we're so thankful that none of the challenges that are swirling around us are surprises to you. We're so thankful that you have sent your son Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life to 
anchor us in reality. Father, so many times we we put our desires first. We in pursuit of peace and happiness and pleasure. We put you on the back burner and make it essentially an idol of ourselves. Forgive us for that, Lord. Help us to get to put these things right through according to truth and through the leadership of your spirit. And Lord, help us to do our part so we will be credible influencers in a world that is suffering from an identity crisis. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're wondering who you are or what your future holds, the one who created you to love you is the answer. Place your faith in Jesus Christ and you begin to build your life on a true foundation. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. Doesn't mean those of us who follow Jesus are perfect. It just means that we have a north star to follow. A true guide to navigate the storms of life. You begin by placing your faith in Jesus. And when you do, just know we have the privilege of standing on, by, and for the truth. And we have the responsibility to reflect the compassionate love of God as we do. Father, again, thank you for the truth of your word. May we honor you. as we proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus. In Christ's name I pray, amen.